Hello from Mayo, Mayo, Ireland. It is, I would say, around 4.30 now. Um, it's a mild day here. The ice has gone, the snow has gone. Um, but still, I have lit the fire and the glow from the stove is just emanating throughout the living room which I'm looking into from the kitchen. I'm sat here at the kitchen table and I can see the glow and um, just kind of electrocuting the walls. Biggie's lying in front of it. Um, I've got a lamp lit further down the hall which I can also see and that's kind of illuminating the different wood around it and it's just it's that wonderful, gentle afternoon light that makes you feel cosy and warm and you're not going outside again for the rest of the day you're in. You've got your shoes off, your woolly socks on. I've got a scarf on just this time of year. I tend to wear a scarf around my neck a lot and I feel slightly sleepy. I've had a big slice of a galette which I made last night with um, wholemeal flour from wild farmed grain and I had I would say a half a pot of crumb fresh on top of that slice. I absolutely adore crumb fresh with tart and cake. Don't get me wrong, whipped double cream, fucking beautiful, ice cream, mm. custard, oh dear god. But there's something about creme fraiche that enhances the ingredient in the tart or cake that you kind of want to really taste. And for me, the almond paste that I made last night with rum and a locally made marmalade and um, some Spanish almonds. Oh, Jesus, the creme fraiche just made it all sing. And yeah, that with two cups of tea was like... Oh, just the most delicious little afternoon treat I gave myself. Um, so without further ado, let's get stuck into this week's topics. Um, it's been um, it's been an interesting week for me actually. I have had periods of anxiety around money, um, which I quickly tried to um let go of because there that that anxiety is of no use to me um but outside of that I've had a really brilliant week I've been really 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 actually cherishing this lockdown time I feel like I'm in my flow with it I'm here on my own I have no physical interaction with anyone unless I go to the shop and I'm only doing that once a week um so my interaction is if I bump into one of the local farmers on the road when I'm out for my run, you know, we have a quick hello and uh, that's pretty much it. But I must say I've been, I've been feeling really good this week. I have been feeling that choosing a very isolated way of living um, suits me when I use it well. And I'm sure we could all say that about our lives when we use our lives well we feel good and happy um but 
what has been going on in me so what's going on in my head right now is this um this idea and this subject around philanthropy um the reason being the oxford farming conference is on at the moment um and i bought a ticket to it um and so i've been dipping in and out of the talks since it began on thursday of last week but last night there was a discussion on philanthropy um and basically kind of how philanthropy philanthropy and colonialism um have affected our world um and and our people um and it is a subject and topic i have thought a lot about over the years as a food maker and i think anyone who works in the food industry who depends on the trade of ingredients to very small degree or a very large degree I'm sure will have thought about this as a topic um and I'm sure there's loads of other industries I mean loads of people depend on trade right um and trade for me always brings up a relationship of okay is everything fair here like is everything in this line from start to finish fair and a lot of the time it isn't I, I would I hate to say this, but I would say most of the time in my case, I have found it to be quite unfair up until recently, whereby I really shortened the distance between, you know, farmer to me using it. Um, and like working with Lovegrass and their Tef is a good example of that. Working with Gilchesters and their grains, um, wild farmed grain and their grains. Um, so I think I... I'm obviously trying to do a much better job of that um, and I look at my diet as a whole and see how can I shorten the chain between the raw product and it going into my mouth to be ingested. Um, so you know with the wines I drink, with the coffee I drink, uh, the fruits, the vegetables, the meat, the fish, um, I'm really 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 having a conversation with that triangle of events. So on last night's talk, um, one of the speakers made this statement and it was philanthropy, extinguishing ways to solve problems. Now, as soon as he uttered that sentence, honestly, I took the biggest breath and then the biggest exhale because it really just summed up so many things to me. Number one, philanthropy itself. But number two, so many aspects to our lives. Whereby we have systems in place um, by private and government bodies. Which kind of extinguish the possibility of there being any other solution to a problem. And... If you get talking to someone who's been through a training whereby they are now professionals and paid to kind of execute based on this this way of solving a problem. If you have a conversation with people like that, so for example, a doctor that has been through medical training for seven years, very, very scientific if you bring up other ways of approaching a problem you might have with them, that conversation might not go so well. Similarly with a dietitian, with a nutritionist, 
if you bring up other approaches that are not science forward you could find yourself in a conversation that actually can burn away a little bit at your self-esteem and your self-confidence around your health around the topic in general um and that's not really conducive for the health of you the other person your communication your conversation when you are speaking with someone and their approach is not to be open-minded it 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 limits where you can go and so this idea that philanthropy has extinguished ways to solve problems just made me feel free again there was freedom in him saying that Um, and he went on to say that philanthropy is essentially the extension of colonialism Um, and colonialism kind of extinguished many natural medicines um which which you know had been keeping people alive and well for centuries um and that through kind of colonialism and nowadays we see it very very clearly philanthropy we've taken a very science forward stance on solving problems around health and well-being um, and anyone that works in the food world myself included needs to include uh, statements around science into our messaging to be credible but also to be legal and I've always found it really interesting that we live in a world whereby wealthy people essentially make decisions around what is legal and not legal what's right and wrong what's credible and not um because as we all know we'll all have experiences of things working for us that don't fit in to you know inverted commas the norm but engaging in this talk last night about philanthropy and colonialism i was you know doing kind of a 360 on myself and like going through the language I use and going through my approach to the world we live in, uh, colonialism and philanthropy, um, and what can I do better? How can I change uh, how I speak about certain things to contribute more positively um, to the world we live in? And I guess I was revisiting things from my past. So one of the things they were saying on the talk last night was, um, obviously, you know, philanthropy can do loads of good, but there's just tweaks that you can make to it, which will make it better. And that is, I mean, the biggest case that was given really was philanthropists should just give their money away and allow the people from the ground up do what they think is best with it. Um, and yeah. so when I was younger, um, when I was 15, um, so last week I spoke to you guys about uh, this fashion show we did and how we were all drinking frozen water and putting pseudo cream on our lips. Well, so a part of this um, fashion show that we did was, um, I mean, the, the sole focus of it really was to raise money for a charity. 
and we got to choose the charity and that was great surprisingly so there was this board for the 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 fashion show there's maybe 10 10 of us on this board and I was voted in to be head of charity now I was absolutely shocked to get this post I mean I was really honored but I I had no idea that my year group saw me in that way saw that like oh Karen would be good you know with that part of the equation you know there was like a treasurer and there was a secretary and there was you know people doing marketing but anyway my sole role was to distinguish the best charity in Cork to give the money to and to work with that charity and so you know back like there was no internet you know like I don't even know if I had a phone then maybe I had a 3310 a year later but I mean the way in which to research how to give away money back then I probably looked up the yellow pages like the golden pages so I remember going into the golden pages and looking for phone numbers of charities in Cork and there was the obvious ones like the Simon community St Vincent de Paul so Simon looking after um homelessness St Vincent de Paul kind of similar vein um and I remember ringing them up and saying hey doing this fashion show raising a bunch of money like would love to give it to you um, and both those charities saying back to me, we're actually okay. We have enough money. Give it to someone else. Fucking love that. Brilliant. Imagine that. Ringing up someone, telling them you want to give them money and then being like, actually, no, we're okay. So anyway, went back to the Golden Pages to look up more phone numbers of charities. And I came across a charity called the Rape Crisis Centre. Now, I never knew about the Rape Crisis Centre. Fortunately, I didn't require its services back then and I rang them up told them about the fashion show and they were like yes we need money we're actually we're struggling at the moment so great rape crisis center we're getting our money that year from Mount Mercy College amazing and so I went into the rape crisis center and it was an experience I will never forget because I'm 15 I, oh, microphone is like flapping. I walk into this beautiful um, old house in Cork City, and there's like a waiting area that's like very much like a living room, and then there's all these rooms going off it for the very therape- the, the therapeutic rooms. But um, I spent three months with the Rape Crisis Centre, and most of the time I was kind of sitting in this living room area, just like helping them out with my my job really was very much admin but the most incredible outcome of spending time there was just sitting within the energy of that building and talking to the therapists about rape and how they go about helping people Um, and the biggest learning from that time was the amount of rape that happens within families and the amount of you know parents raping their children um uncles aunts and I and from there as well I encountered other kind of crisis centers like there was a center for um men who were the victim of abuse from their partners and often we would have um men in their 40s 50s 60s come to us 
having you know been bashed around again by their partner um and the head of the rape crisis center would recommend them to the appropriate center for for them but i remember it so clearly because obviously we were giving them this money but we also were giving them me i guess and i was there to um help them and do anything they needed of me but i guess more than anything i was there to then distill the message and the work that they were doing into my year group and talk about it with my friends and that was life-changing like that that changed my life and it is part of me today and I carry it with me um and I'm sure it comes into my work in various shapes and forms um and then in my fifth year of secondary school um I got I can't remember if it was the student body or the teachers or the principal or who it was but anyway every year two girls were chosen from the year to represent the school in this charity called Share. Um, and Share is a charity in Cork which basically um, homes elderly people um, and helps them out with like food and activities and just does its best really to keep them warm, comfortable and happy. Um, it's often for elderly people that maybe don't have children or are single or widowed um but again I kind of I was surprised I was voted into the role really and but very you know I felt really privileged to be there um and as part of this charity yeah you do loads of raising of money but again the point is you go in and you kind of work from the ground up and so everyone's given like an elderly person to visit um and my person was may and may was 92 and she was a widow and uh, her husband had died many years ago she had no children she married late she married when she was in her 40s and she used to be a writer a journalist for excuse me the cork examiner that's the the galette coming up now (laughs) um uh, but so may was wonderful like she was just such a beautiful soul telling me all about the travel writing she used to do for the Cork Examiner back in the day and I just I guess I learned so much about her her life Cork what it was like to be a working woman back then what it was like to be a journalist back then um but then I guess very importantly I learned about the work of Cher and I learned just how important it was and so when Christmas would come around and we used to do that two weeks of um collecting money on the streets of Cork you know I I worked my fucking butt off to make sure I collected as much money as possible because I saw the impact of it and then finally um when I was uh was I 20 20 yeah no I yeah I had turned 21 and my mom had passed away of cancer that year of in, in February, on the 1st of February is her anniversary. Um, but that summer I went to India. Um, I raised um, lots of money and the point was to kind of go to this place uh, that I knew of um, and, and work there. And again, just understand it and do what I could to um, have a good impact. Um and I remember when I was there and just being surrounded by, you know, a lot of poverty, um, a lot of um, abuse, 
So lots of parents abusing their kids with drugs. They'd they'd make their kids take drugs that they'd, you know, be kind of high essentially and then they'd go out begging. Um but I remember look it was a really difficult time it was very very difficult seeing so many like homeless kids but then even more difficult seeing kids kind of the victim of like horrendous parenting um and one of the gentlemen that worked um at this refuge that I was at I remember asking him like have you ever been anywhere outside of India and he was like no I have no need to leave here why would I leave here this is such a beautiful country and I remember thinking, my God, what I see is so much poverty, so much abuse, but what you see is beauty. And I thought, okay, no, he of course he sees the poverty and of course he sees the abuse. Um, And I don't mean to say he just accepted it and moved on, but like to a large degree, yeah. I mean, he had accepted that, like, there were um, lots of downsides to the area that he was living in and lots of stuff that needed to be made better. But now that I'm back in Ireland and I'm kind of refinding my way here, and I'm also, to be very honest, like, really seeing uh, the impact that Great Britain had on Ireland um I just I think about that man sometimes and I have such huge respect for him just staying there you know not running away not not going on a holiday somewhere not traveling to have he, he was just present you know day in day out he was just present in his place of birth and even though there was shit everywhere he was he was grateful and he was happy and no matter what badness any of us experience we all do experience happiness um at some point and i guess in a very long-winded way those various experiences particularly the indian one made me really question the authority we have as Westerners to kind of go in and with the motivation of doing good but a lot of the time the motivation to do good is around us seeing oh no we need to change things here and and, and we're going to go about it with our approach. Now when I was in India I did not do anything you know regarding my own approach it was very much you know I kind of did whatever sister Jacintha wanted me to do and I was there was lots of things that I I saw problem with but you know I put those to one side and just did the best I could for her and the kids at this this refuge um and so I think just philanthropy as a whole and this idea that philanthropy is an extension of colonialism is a really interesting one for us all to just maybe acknowledge and think about because, I mean, ultimately, we all play some small role. Like, like even I remember back in the day when I was talking to someone about marketing for Happy Tommy Co. And they were like, oh, no, 
if if you donate whatever percentage of money from the sale of each loaf to a charity, the likelihood of you increasing um, reach will go up. I remember being like, okay, right, yeah. And I remember at the time being like, I don't have a fucking clue who I'd give money to. Like, and number two, I don't have any money to give. Like, I, I'm, I'm spending all my savings on this business. And also, I feel like, well, I just want to pay a fair price for the ingredients that go into this bread. And I mean, that's the work, right? And that's why I always highlight to you guys, you know, if you're buying Teff, buy it from Lovegrass. Don't be fucking buying it from the Holland lads and the Spanish lads and the American lads. Buy the Teff from Lovegrass. And that's that, you know, Trey, I, I, I'm sure I did a rant on trade before on Instagram. But yeah, trade is everything. And if the African people can trade their goods at a fair price and, and get that and then they do what they want with it, fucking great. If the South Americans can trade their stuff at a fair price and get that, brilliant. If we as Irish people can trade our cheeses and fish and meats and milk at a fair price and get it, brilliant. Similarly, with you know the people of Britain, the people anywhere, the people of Russia, I don't know, wherever. Like, just paying the right price for what you're getting is a hugely impactful thing to do very very positive um and so I guess this talk last night has just kind of reinvigorated me with this idea around paying the right price for something that you ingest is something we can all do and trying to make sure that the 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 cycle from you know seed to mouth is as short as possible um and respecting each person in that cycle um one of the things i do when i sit down to eat <coughs> excuse me is i think about you know I, I think about the journey of that food i think about the farmer who first planted that seed and you know up to the delivery people that bring it to my door um and I guess that's some form of mindfulness. Um, next topic is Irish person of the week. <clears throat> Sorry, guys. I'm like, I don't know. Why I'm, I think that creme fresh is still in my throat. Um, so my Irish person of the week is Tommy Tiernan. Oh, my God. The man is a fucking legend. He is a comedian I grew up with. Um, I'm pretty sure he's probably in his 50s now. Um, But he's just brilliant. His voice is fantastic. His look, his eyes are really lovely. But just the way he communicates and expresses is most of the time through sound. Like, obviously he talks and he uses language very well. But... What I've always loved about Tommy is just his use of intonation to express himself and sounds and he's not afraid of political incorrectness in his communication, which I think is a sign of a very intelligent person. He doesn't suppress 
his communication in honor of getting things right. Um, I mean, he he's very politically correct most of the time. He's very, I would say he's he's very thought provoking, and I would say he's very thoughtful. Um, but he's just wonderful. I've been listening to his podcast, um, his own personal one, uh, the one he does with Hector, who's another Irish comedian. And I've been watching his show every Saturday night on RTE One Nine Thirty Five, um, and he's just wonderful. He's 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 one of those Irish people that just make me really proud to be Irish. Um, he sees women in the most beautiful way. He sees them as these mystical creatures who are super powerful and beautiful and can kind of dispel of men when they want but then arouse them when they want and use them however they want to and it's just he did um he did an interview last week with um Andrea Core uh, if anyone knows the Kors um and she is a beautiful woman and you could just tell interviewing her he was just so drawn to her mystical nature and it just as a viewer watching that intensity and chemistry is just wonderful and it's one of the things that is making me really fall hard for Ireland again is just this vulnerability in our people you know we televise it we we radio it we are we are very present we are very vulnerable with ourselves um and I think the Hibernia English just works to enhance that vulnerability really um his podcast is I love his podcast because he does I don't know where he does them maybe out in a garden shed or something but I feel like he's always just had a biscuit and tea because he's always got like some level of indigestion or something going on because you can just tell from the way he'll maybe utter some sentence that he really has a burp that wants to come up but like he kind of suppresses it um, that's the only thing I would say he suppresses is a burp on his podcast. Um, if you guys do want to check out his podcast, the Tommy Turnham podcast, he has one on stomachs, which I, of course, loved. And uh, there was a lovely phrase in it where he uh, he talks about, you know, grabbing a, someone's stomach and kind of wrapping it around his ears. And I just thought, oh, that's just so beautiful. Like imagine wrapping a stomach around your ears oh anyway it was just lovely but um yeah Tommy is definitely my Irish person of the week I'm loving listening to him um and then uh so a funny thing right when you're living on your own and you're locked in uh I'm finding myself I feel like, okay, so I'll be in the kitchen, right? And I'm cutting up some garlic and onion. Garlic and onion are a part of every single dinner I make. It's like every dinner I make, no matter what it is, starts with chopped up garlic and onion. So I'm in the kitchen, I'm chopping up the garlic and onion. I light the fire at 5pm every evening. So the fire is always lit and I, I eat a bit later, a good bit later. Um, And I'll be there chopping up the garlic and onion and I put the sharp knife down and I go into the living room and I look at the fire I make sure that the fire is okay it's like I've got fucking OCD around the fire like the fire has to be lighting like a, a really good amount 
like I, I just I, I like a certain amount of flame and glow from it so I'll go into the living room uh Biggie will be lying down in front of said fire and I'll make sure that it's looking well and then I'll go back into the kitchen and continue chopping up the garlic and onion and I think it was Tuesday night and I had done this and I got back into the kitchen and I was just laughing at myself because I then went to my phone to make sure I had Sonus on. Sonus is my way of playing music and everything in the house. I love listening to Radio 6 music. So yeah, that's on. Okay, cool. So the fire is lit, the Sonus is on. I'm making my dinner. My laptop's on the kitchen table. I kind of go over there, check for emails, blah, blah, blah. And I just, I'm like this little, I don't know, a little ferret in this house, in the middle of nowhere, on my own, feeling so busy. And I just started laughing so hard because... I just thought like, God, the little things in life, you know, that can just make you really happy and content and busyness is one of them for me. Like my sister, this is the same. We love a potter, like we're always pottering. So there I am pottering, just just pottering, like making sure things in check for no one's pleasure other than my own. And it was just, yeah, it was a lovely feeling. Um, my hands are doing so much better. I've not changed much bar. I take a mushroom uh, supplement every morning um, and another supplement for joint care. And they've been great. I've been keeping them warm. That's another thing. I've been really doing my best to keep them warm. I have um, have them tucked under my thigh now and my thigh is kind of placed on top of um, a chair. But... So that's been great. And I look at them every so often. I look at them just, yeah, you're still looking okay. Okay, great. Brilliant. Like I'm looking at them now and they just, they look great. They look normal. They look healthy. Yeah. Um, I'm going to actually pause this and check the fire. You know what? I'm going to do that right now. God, lads, I was getting so anxious there about the fire. I could see the glow and uh, the electrocution of the walls going down and I was like oh god I don't want to finish this now and have a quenched fire that would be the worst um but yeah so hands great um another little lovely thing that happened to me this week so um the wood was gone I think anyone listening that lights a fire every evening will understand how much wood you go through this time of year and so I ordered a massive load of wood uh, which came during the week and now previously when I've ordered things to my home in East Sussex you know big stuff inevitably the delivery guy gets there in some van or truck and lands this big pile of stuff on the drive and says that's as far as I can take it you know not ensured to take it any further and I'm always like fuck me look at the state of me I'm here on my own like how do you think I'm going to move that but anyway that's it they get into their truck they drive away and I'm there landed with whatever you know a 55 kilo thing to like lift into the house and so I've kind of grown used to this being you know the level of service that you get so anyway I live down this boring and um in the ice and snow you know obviously it's 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 slippy um and the boring you know, it wouldn't fit an Arctic truck, let's just say that. But these lads rock up 
in an Arctic truck. And the funny thing about it is when they opened the back of the Arctic truck, the wood was the only thing in the bloody thing at the very, very back. So the thing could have fit into a van and there would have been no issues. Anyways, the two lads, typical now Ireland as well, Mayo, like they have my address, they have all the details, but they ring me anyway and they're like, where are you there now, love? Where, where are you? And I'm like, oh, giving them the, po- the air code and the... the they have all this information like they're obviously they're just ringing for a chat obviously to see it from home i'd say so anyway they rock up anyway and one of them comes down the boreen and he's like oh jesus we won't get down here now at all so immediately i go into like my british brain and i'm like oh shit like i've ordered four massive ton bags of wood and they're gonna stay now up at the top of the boreen this is awful um and he's like unfortunately you know those things they're not like wheelbarrows, but you 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 can put pallets and stuff on top of them and then wheel them down. Anyway, they have one of these in the truck, but unfortunately, it's not working very well. So he's like, whatever, let's call it a wheelie thing. Their wheelie thing isn't working. And I was like, oh, no. And he's like, yeah. He's like, how have you gotten wood down here before? And I was like, well, the wheelie thing. And he was like, right. So it's getting like they arrive at about five so now it's dark because it's half five because we're all faffing wondering what the hell to do anyways the older man of the two backs the arctic lorry down the boreen thanks be to god and we get the wood up to the side door and then thanks be to god i find a key somewhere that opens the double doors and we're able to get all the wood into the house so it's absolutely Delira but the fear in me that I wasn't going to get this wood down the boreen was something special I swear to god um and yeah I just I guess just want to shout out to like delivery drivers like the delivery drivers here they are the nicest people like in the end it took the lads I'd say about 40 minutes 45 minutes to do that delivery of wood from kind of top of boreen to the house itself and i just thought fair play to you you know you've really helped me out here like you know what i mean you've really helped me and like when they got the wood to the side of the house i kind of thought like ah to be fair now they've done their bit like they'll leave it there but they were like where can we bring a few do you want it in the house and i was like oh my god that would be amazing and they did. And I just thought, fuck me, Ireland, I love you. Yeah, and then the final point for today's Sunday session is running. I've been back running now that I'm back in Mayo in the new year. And uh, the roads were fierce icy this week. And so my running was different. My technique was kind of more like flat foot on the ground as opposed to toe or heel. And it just, it made the whole experience a lot more mindful. And the other thing is a friend of mine, Claire, who lives in East Sussex, she unfortunately had a miscarriage um, during lockdown last year, which was absolutely horrendous. And so throughout the month of January, she is running 250,000 steps for um, to highlight miscarriages. And yeah, I'm joining her in that. 
and it's been great because it's just made me when that happened to her um I felt very helpless and there was nothing really I could do bar listen and offer support but as someone who is childless and has never been through a miscarriage there's only so far I can go and doing these 250,000 steps with her from Ireland has just made me kind of feel a bit more well it, I guess I don't feel as helpless anymore um and it's just been so wonderful to reflect on her her pain motherhood being a child the relationship between a mother and a child and relationships in general you know that'll be a topic probably for next week I'm not going to get stuck into that now but yeah relationships in general have been a big big subject for me of late um and running you guys know it running is my medium through which light bulb moments happen and I can go about my day having shaken off some nervous energy and some nervous anxieties which will not be helpful in any way to a productive day and so on that note I'm gonna leave you guys I'm getting stuck back into the Oxford farming conference here and I'm going to do a workshop on um wine I think that one's at six so I'm super looking forward to that and I've got a fish supper on the hob for later which I'm very much looking forward to um but yeah I hope you guys are doing well I hope that lockdown 3.0 4.0 5.0 whatever it is for you is I don't know proving better and is maybe um highlighting some beautiful moments in your life and maybe highlighting to you skills that you have which you hadn't maybe been addressing or paying as much heed to of late so here's to another great week guys sending you so much love from mayo um and i should say this please do subscribe to this podcast and please share it with your friends family and loved ones um because feck it i think what i've discovered is that listening to kind of conversational storytellers um in my downtime has given my brain some much needed rest and uh myself some much needed company and so perhaps this podcast can act as that for someone else um and it would be lovely to gift that to someone else because i have been gifted it by so many other podcast people so yeah sending massive massive love guys here's to a phenomenal week big love you're a baker girl karen